wimps out there, and welcome to a new episode of Potter Jewels, a Harry Potter podcast debating theories and ideas while trying to provide some light in the darkness. I'm your host, Tim. Alongside me, as always, is my brother, Martin. Hey. You can get in contact with the show in a number of ways. You can contact us on Twitter at Potter Jewels. That's P-O-T-T-E-R-D-U-E-L-S, all one word. Potterjewels at hotmail.com or facebook.com forward slash Potterjewels. So today, well, we, me and Martin have just finished re-watching the Harry Potter films. We did eight films in eight nights. Uh, and we thought it'd be a good idea to, to rank them and discuss our favourite. So yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, an enjoyable experience. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, we saw each of them at the cinema when they first mm-hmm. came out and then have, you know, watched them since. But I don't think before I've done the eight films in eight days no. so you know we watched one a one a day and mm. um yeah it brings back some great memories yeah yeah i mean i think my feelings of the films have uh, there are there are a lot of really good film things about the films and i think uh the casting for a lot of the characters is absolutely spot on yeah definitely i mean a lot of the characters were you know exactly how i imagined them to be you know if you look at Hagrid and Snape and McGonagall and Filch. you know yeah Filch and you know Lucius. Lo- lots of others mm. Lucius is amazing um you know Voldemort himself you know I mean there's just so many the characters a lot of the characters were exactly how I'd imagined them um some unbelievable performances um in there and you know really enjoyable to to go back and watch them again having said that I still have a lot of issues with the films such as did you put your name in the goblet of fire (laughs) yeah there were certain um well there were certain castings which i felt they got wrong there were certain uh director's choice moments or some of the stuff they cut out was was frustrating to me i'll be honest i thought that some of the weasleys were were maybe not cast how i imagined them and some of the stuff they cut out and put in particularly with the half-blood prince uh, really frustrated me they added stuff and took uh, yeah. at the expense of some important plot points and the fact that order of the phoenix was the longest book and the shortest film which i think is a bit bit of a strange choice um but we'll get into all that in a minute first uh we'll we'll, we'll talk about um the the our favorite film and you know try and try and rank them for me I would say my favourite film is probably Chamber of Secrets. I think it was a complete story. It was uh, well casted and it didn't irritate me. My rankings are based on sort of like how they, you know, which ones didn't irritate me. So Chamber of Secrets is number one. Two, Deathly Hallows Part 1. Free Philosopher's Stone. Then we get into the ones that annoy me. I'd probably say Goblet of Fire. I would say Order of the Phoenix, Prisoner of Azkaban, Deathly Hallows Part Two, and then Half Blood Prince last. Okay, so you said some things were starting to irritate. You. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of like what, the degree. What sort of things are you talking about? Well, let's let's you know let's go through this. Okay, then. okay, let's let, let, let's start with Goblet of Fire. That, the, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? He asked calmly. Uh, really, really frustrated me. Uh, and, you know, maybe some of the glossing over of certain aspects of the film. Uh, like what? Like um, the minimal 
involvement of Sirius when uh, Sirius Black would have uh, had a bigger role in the book. So I would say I would say um, that irritated me. Barty Crouch Jr., as we said the other week, you know, him getting sent to, to Azkaban. And it's like in the following film, there's a mass breakout and we're meant to believe he just went, now nah, I'm good, actually. It, it would have just been such a simple little thing just to go, oh, yeah, he's got the Dementor's kiss or whatever. But no, it's, it's, so it's stuff like that, that that irritated me about that one. But that's that didn't irritate me as much as some of the others. Um, Order of the Phoenix didn't anger me quite as much as some of the others. Uh, but I, apart from the fact that uh, the prophecy scene was so short at the end, I thought that was irritating. And it just felt a bit like a whistle-stop tour through the main points of the book, uh, as opposed to doing it in any sort of like massive detail. Then I had Prisoner of Azkaban. It frustrated me that they completely cut out the Marauder's backstory. That 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 did it. That did it. Upset me. Plus, I thought that with it being his first film, I think Michael Gambon's casting as Dumbledore felt particularly jarring, considering the Dumbledore of the first two. And then Deathly Hallows Part Two, which I actually thought when watching it uh, again with you, up until like the last half hour, I was ready to put this as my number one favourite. And then the last half hour completely undid that with, uh, uh, you know, uh, we'll finish this the way we started together, jump off, jump off Hogwarts, which I, I don't remember in the book happening. Um, as well as him sma- snapping the Elder Wand without actually repairing his own wand first. So those two things are irritating me. And then uh, Half-Blood Prince is my least favourite because you cut out a load of Tom Riddle's backstory at the expense of a burrow scene that didn't happen. And it creates, again, a little bit like the Barty Crouch one, but on a bigger scale. It creates a bigger plot hole when Harry has no idea what to look for in the Deathly Hallows uh, in terms of Hufflepuff's Cup. And yet he finds it immediately and is like, oh yeah, this is it. And it's like, it's it's just a little bit, bit of a stretch. So yeah, that, that's why, that, that that's, that's my lower part of my ranking. But I think that uh, the one that has the fewest sins for me is uh, Chamber of Secrets. So you're looking at this as a fewest sins rather than a most positives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with the, the 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 ones that have got the fewer sins in in Chamber of Secrets uh, uh, and Deathly Hallows Part One and Philosopher's Stone, it's nitpicking. It's really you know, generally speaking, I think those three films were were of a very very high quality, and I I enjoyed them a lot. And why is the Chamber of Secrets your favourite? Well, I think the casting was superb. You bring in uh, Jason Isaacs as Lucius and you bring in uh, Kenneth Branagh as Gilderoy Lockhart. Perfect casting. Um, I think it's still got Richard Harris. I prefer Richard Harris as a Dumbledore to Michael Gambon. And I think between... 
those two plus uh, the fact that it's just a really, really well told, well directed, well acted, complete story. It's probably why I'd have it at number one. Favorite bit from it? I really enjoy the scenes with Harry and Dumbledore. Uh, both when Harry meets Forks and Hagrid bursting out, and that's exactly how I imagined it from the book. And then the scene at the end uh, when Lucius Malfoy comes in. And again, it's just perfect in terms of how I imagined it. So I would say those two are up there. Yeah, I'd say I'd say those are probably my favourite bits from from that film. And other than that, I just think that the cast is on on form. You know, you have a lot of uh, the best castings. I mean, you have a lot of Argus Filch with David Bradley. You have a lot of McGonagall. You have a lot of Snape. You know the characters that you really think are so well casted features very heavily. So Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid as well, you know, it's exactly how I imagine the book to look, how I imagine the book to feel. Uh, and I just think it was just taking it from the book and then just putting it up on screen. You know, it, it was an exact imagining as to how I, I personally imagined it. I thought the bit between Lockhart turning up to uh, the staff meeting through to when Lockhart gets his memory wiped again is exactly how I imagined it mm. in the book. Um, I, th- I, I think Kenneth Branagh was, was absolutely perfect in yeah. that role. Um, and it's a good, fo- I mean, as I say, ph- Philosopher's Stone again has few sins for me. So it's a, it's a nice follow on from, from that as well, you know. Yeah, but then I guess they played the characters for one film as well, so perhaps maybe we're a little bit more yeah. into them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, getting used to their roles. It kind of gets back to my point about, about Richard Harris as, as Dumbledore, because in terms of look and sound, it was pretty much how I imagined Dumbledore to be. And then the contrast between him and Michael Gambon is drastic in terms of uh, the way they both act, the way they both behave. you know. It, now, on the one hand, you can say that Michael Gambon's portrayal is more maybe representative of what you get of Dumbledore later on, where uh, he is revealed to have been a bit more complex and a little bit more layered than we first imagined. But in terms of how we saw Dumbledore for the first six, the first six books, Michael Gambon didn't fit that image, and I think it also didn't help matters that he hadn't read the books. What specifically were you not convinced about him? He's just sort of aloofness, you know, and and needlessly, you know, either dark or crypticness. Well, I mean, you look in the Order of the Phoenix, for example, even in the books, he doesn't connect with Harry that much. And obviously we know he's got ulterior motives for that, Mm. but, um, you know, he is quite aloof in that book for valid reasons. Yeah, he is, he is. But you still, just because he is aloof to Harry in the Order of the Phoenix his other interactions with the char- with characters remain consistent. 
It really was. Even even in the duel with Tom Riddle, he's still exactly how you, we always imagined him to be. Um, uh, and the start of Turn Feast, he's very you know light and you know. So so again, I think there is a lot of even though the character is uh, a little bit off with Harry, the general portrayal of him, how I imagine him to be, would still be that sort of calm, you know, reassuring leader that we didn't really get with Michael Gambon, I don't think. I mean, I mean, there's no doubt he was very different to, hmm. to Richard Harris, but I think perhaps that was intentional because it would have been a shame to have played it the same way you know they're they're two very different actors different interpretations and to almost um do an impression of him might not have been Mm. you know the way to go really no doing an impression of him would have been would have been poor but just and and i get i do get why they probably went for a complete contrast because of that very reason you know you didn't want somebody to come in and do a, a Richard Harris impression. But I just still felt that it just... Maybe it was because Richard Harris was so close to the Dumbledore we all imagined that when Michael Gambon came in, it was a complete contrast to the Dumbledore that we imagined. And, you know, like, for instance, um, when Harry and Hermione run up to him at the end of Prison of Azkaban and go, you know, we did it, He's, did what? Good night. It's like we got a whole chapter out of that in the book. Yeah, true, but I think you know maybe that was done in the interests of time, and 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 in a way, did what is something that Dumbledore might say, you know, mm-hmm. implying that you know did what as if they were never there, which mm-hmm. is obviously the intention. So you know that that would be, I think, largely consistent with the sort of thing that he might say. But again, in the in the book, we got an entire chapter and talk about, you know, Pettigrew uh, and how Harry saving his life would create a, a life debt, which never gets picked up upon in the films later on. But is this not a, an issue with the script rather than the character? It's probably, well, it's probably an issue with both. Because I think my issue with the script was how much they left out of three, five, six, seven and eight um but the portrayal i think would have made a lot more sense to be honest had michael gambon read the books you know i've seen michael gambon and other stuff and he's he's a great actor but it just i i just don't think he understood the character to the level that it needed to be understood. But then, you know, I think with Dumbledore, the, the, the readers didn't understand him until the later books as well. You know, we, we think we have a good understanding of Dumbledore and then suddenly the information in the, the seventh book really kind of makes us reevaluate to some True, extent. And that, so, and, and that is arguably Michael Gambon's best bit as Dumbledore is in the seventh film when he's not in it. <laughs> In that, and what I mean by that is that the stuff, the, the way he portrayed the character through his book, films three through six sort of made more sense in the seventh when he's not in there and you find out all the, you know, his backstory. 
it's like, okay, the Dumbledore we saw with Michael Gambon in Prince of Azkaban onwards, that is believable that he would have acted in those ways. Whereas the Richard Harris one and the one that we imagined in the book was a little bit more of a drastic change. Right. It is ironic that his best performance was one where he wasn't really in it, <laughs> but it made sense of the pre- the way he pre- played it previously. Well, I know I've mentioned it before, and I know I'll mention it again, <laughs> but the, Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? That that just shows a complete lack of understanding of the character and of the and of the text because it does say he asked calmly, and Dumbledore would never manhandle a student in that way, let alone Harry, who he deeply, deeply cares for. I mean, I think we don't have enough information on how that came to be. I mean, it could have been uh, the director you know, asking for it to be portrayed in that way. It could have been, you know, a whole number of reasons, you know, and, and I think that if that was how Michael Gambon had played it and he'd been told, actually, no, the books say calmly, um, you know, you need to play it another way, then I'm sure he would have done. So I'm not sure mm. if it was him or the but direction. Whoever it was on set that day, Someone should maybe have pointed out that this wasn't how it was in the books. Yeah, but that's a different issue to the to the Michael Gambon thing. Yeah, but I'm just saying, surely someone should have pointed it out. Because that is probably one of the most controversial moments in the Harry Potter films, that one line. You know, it's it's memed, it's mocked, and it's it's because of a completely out-of-character portrayal of of a line. I mean, you know, personally, I'd always imagined it as him saying it calmly as well. Um, what I'm gave not, it away? He asked calmly. No, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not saying that I would have necessarily directed it that way. I'm just saying that, mm. it, you know, it's on the set there's probably a combination of people who went into to making that scene what it is. It's not just... The, the actor themselves and they all failed well again that that's <laughs> that's another <laughs> that's another issue that's not on one person no, no and i and i get it, it's not all on one person and i'm not you know as i say i like michael gambon as an actor i think he's done some good work but that line did really really frustrate me and going back to the chamber of secrets there wasn't really any moment in in that film where I was like, Oh, that's not from that. That, that isn't how I imagined it. Or that isn't what I, you know, saw the book to, to be because it really was just sort of like taking the words and putting them onto screen. You know, it was just a perfect imagining of the chamber of secrets. I also thought that the set of the chamber of secrets was really cool, especially with the, the, the opening. Yeah. I mean, the, the set of it was absolutely fantastic, you know, really atmospheric and authentic. And the costumes as well for um, for Gilderoy Lockhart, and the, you know, there was so, so much about the, you know, the the, uh, you know, the the stuff we don't see. Yeah, definitely. And I'd always imagined that the door, you know, with the snakes, mm. I'd always imagined that to be a special effect because it looks so good, yeah, so yeah. authentic. But if you go to the to the studio tour, and if anyone hasn't been, I'd absolutely recommend it 100%. 100%. 100%. It's, it's an amazing, amazing day. Um, 
you know, you actually see the door and how they did it. And it's, it's so impressive. It's mm. fantastic. So, um, you know, seeing that the work that went into that, you know, for a few seconds of screen time, the work that went into making it look as good as it did, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would completely agree with that. Uh, but yeah, I thought the sets, the effects, the, the you know, the basilisk, uh, as I say, the costumes, I just felt everything about the film was, was right. Um, there's not a huge amount that was cut. I mean, death day party, but that doesn't really, you know, that's not exactly the biggest cut of our times. And I just thought that from start to finish, it was just the most enjoyable, the most, I, I'd say the best acted, I would say the best designed. I just think everything about it was near, near perfect. So yeah, I would, I would have that first, you know, the Diagon Alley scene, you know, Borgen and Burt, Hagrid rescuing Harry from Nocturne Alley. You have uh, the argument between Lucius and Arthur in Flourish and Blots. Uh, you also have the introduction of Gilderoy Lockhart in the same scene. I mean, Gilderoy Lockhart and Lucius Malfoy both first appear in that scene and i can't think of better castings you know for those two characters no but both absolutely incredible mm. love their portrayals the car flying to hogwarts was exactly how i imagined it to be the whomping willow i think it was while i absolutely loved it in the book when harry and ron are looking into the great hall and uh, trying to work out where snape is and not realizing he's right behind him uh, I love that in the book, but also, had we had that in the book, we wouldn't have got Filch's, we are in trouble, aren't we? Uh, that is just perfect. It's exactly how I imagine Filch to be. And the more David Bradley as, as Filch, the better. I thought he was superb. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I'm not sure about your impression, but <laughs> the uh, the actual Filch was incredible. And as I say, the one thing Willow was quality. And the last thing I'll say about it, Rupert Grint. Rupert Grint's faces throughout the throughout, throughout this film, both when he both both in the Whomping Willow bit and then in the Forbidden Forest with the spiders, absolutely perfect. Because <laughs> um, uh, Rupert Grint actually does have a uh, does have arachnophobia and is is genuinely scared of spiders. So the fear was incredibly believable, especially uh, when uh, when Aragog and uh, his family are about to to eat them. He's absolutely superb in that film, and that you know, there's some great performances from the the whole cast. But mm. you know, his uh, his does stand out yeah. as being his uh, absolute terror. Yeah, he plays that really well. <laughs> and I can completely believe he does have a fear of spiders after watching that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I have said a lot about my favourite, which is the Chamber of Secrets, and how I would rank the films. So. Do you want to talk about where where what your favourite is and how you would position some of the others? Yeah, so my favourite film is part one of the Deathly Hallows. Good choice. I had that second. Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely love the film. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think it's it does, to be fair, benefit from uh, the fact that it's split into two parts, mm. um, so it can focus on greater detail. But I, I think it's it's one it's one of the films where I, I absolutely love some of the additions um, and mm. 
you know, one that I'm just going to briefly mention um, that I actually thought was one of the most powerful moments in the films was at the beginning of the Deathly Hallows Part 1 with Hermione. Um, and she uses the Obliviate spell and you see her disappearing from all the, the photographs. And I thought that was mm. incredibly powerful. Um, you know, to, you know, to visualize it in that way and actually see the impact, um, that it had, because I think that's, that's a, an aspect of the story that does get overlooked sometimes or an aspect of Hermione's character that gets overlooked that, you know, she did make that sacrifice as, you know, many other people mm. did, of course, you know, to do that was a, a you know, a really huge effort. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I thought that was really powerful, and then, but also the bit beforehand where you know she's being uh, her mum's calling up to her to come down for dinner, and Hermione knows that what she's about to do, and the emotion on on her face, yeah, to to you know say you know come in mum, but you know that it's killing her, yeah, and then the way she walks out of the house afterwards and just walks down the street and you can just see how she's so alone yeah and i thought um emma watson played that incredibly well that moment and Mm. you know there's there's some things in the you know the films that are missed out from the books um but i thought that was one thing that they put in which i thought was one of the the best moments of the the series really just because you i think you, you see it in a slightly different way when you you know, you can visualize the, the impact that it's having and actually disappearing from their lives. Yeah, definitely. I think it, I, I, I completely agree with you that it was uh, one of the most powerful moments that the films that the films did. And look, I give I give the films, a, you know, I do give the films a bit of stick. Uh, but there are moments like that. And another one that I know we both feel strongly about. And I know a lot of people don't like it, and that's that's fine. But I thought the nice one, James, edition, when uh, with Sirius, yeah, uh, in the Department of Mysteries, I thought that was a really really nice edition. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic edition. Spoke a lot to Sirius's character, um, and it was it was great to to have it in there. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, generally, I didn't like when they added stuff, but there were certain moments like those two that we just spoke about, which I thought was, you know, really, really well done. Yeah, and you know, I think if you, you know, the studio tours uh, in London, it's just the most fantastic experience to go to. It, it's mm. you know, a really, really wonderful place to visit, and you see the efforts. That, that goes into it that goes into the films and the, the detail and the desire that they had to, to try and get everything right and you know i think a couple of things that one it was never going to be possible to include everything from the books in the films because of the time constraints mm. um, unfortunately you know I, it would have been fantastic if that would have been the case but you know, which is why i'm an advocate for doing a TV series, Netflix, HBO, hit me up. That that's a different question entirely. And also, I, I think with you know with all adaptations of books, you know the wonderful thing about books is that you can you know make the characters your own, and you kind of have your own images and 
uh, you know, and thoughts about what the what the story is like. That's going to be different for everyone, and and so it should be. So it's going to be mm. impossible to to please everybody. Just but generally, I thought they did uh, a really good job. Me and you have different opinions on uh, Jim Broadbender's Slughorn. Like to me, he is exactly how I always imagined him to be. Maybe not so much as in look, because you know I expected the moustache and whatever. But in terms of characteristics, a pompous, you know, proud, uh, a bit full of bluster, he's exactly how I always envisioned him. Whereas I know you didn't, and that's and that's like you say, that's the thing about books is that you know, one person's imagining of a of a character and another's person imagining of a character can be completely different. Yeah, and and that's the way it should be. Um, you know, I thought he, he did a good job of it. Um, I just never sort of quite imagined him in that way. Um, and, you know, that, that's the same for a couple of the other characters, but it doesn't mean mm. that that's, that's wrong in any way. Um, no. You know, and, and that's that's the joy of it, really, is that people have, you know, can read the same text and get a completely different impression of the character. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's why I personally love listening to the audiobooks, and I'm I would like, you know, I would very much like to to listen to the Jim Dale American version because I just love hearing different people's interpretations of the character. Yeah. Uh, for instance, you know, when I when I heard Stephen Fry do the Half Blood Prince. His interpretation of Slughorn was very, very similar to Jim Broadbent. So that's why when they cast Jim Broadbent and he acted it in the way he acted it, I was like, that's perfect, because that's exactly how I imagined him in my mind first time. And then how I imagined him to sound based on the Stephen Fry version. So it was kind of like bringing it to screen. I mean, the reason I wouldn't have Deathly Hallows Part 1 in first, and it's really sort of, as I say, nitpicking at this at this point, because I think both Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and Deathly Hallows Part 1 are so strong. But I guess the reason I would have Chamber of Secrets above Deathly Hallows Part 1 is because, A, it's a complete story. You well, know, yeah, you, but that means, you know, it was never going to be the case that Part 1 was going to be a complete story. That's No, and I, and, and I completely get that, but I just feel that the completion start, you know, great beginning, great middle, great end, you know, I, I, I thought as a, as an overall piece of work, it was, it was slightly stronger. And there were minute things that maybe irritated me a little bit. Like I didn't love the Harry and Hagrid's departure from Privet Drive involving the motorway. I, I, you know, I preferred it when they were both up in the air. Yeah. But, you know, for dramatic purposes, it, it really works as a set piece, I think. It does. It does. And I suppose it you know, makes it that much closer to the muggle world. It does. And it, it makes it, you know, doing it in the sky is going to be more challenging to make it visually appealing. You know, so I, I didn't mind that at all. But it's like you said about the actors. It's, it's not that it's bad. It's just different to how I imagined it. Yeah. Whereas with The Chamber of Secrets, it's exactly how I... Everything about it was exactly how I imagined it to be. Yeah. And... But, you know, I, I liked a lot of the additions in part one, which is probably one of the reasons why it's my favourite. You know, the, um, the underground tunnel thing I liked. I, I loved the Obliviate spell. And... 
you know, I know some people weren't fans of this, but I really liked the um, Harry and Hermione dancing in the tent. I would have been one of those people that didn't like it had it come at the expense of something, you know, that was really relevant to the plot. Yeah. Uh, but but as as uh, overall, I think definitely. I mean, uh, it always surprises me how much they get in to that film. Yeah, yeah, they get a lot in, and again, I think that's that's why I really like it is because it's you know has a huge amount in, and obviously, you know, part of that is because it has to tell half a story. Um, mm. But you know, I think they do a really good job of. You know, including what they need to, and setting it up incredibly well for part two. Um, I mean, the, I mean the obviously com- I knew the the story back to front, um, but I can imagine if you didn't know the story, seeing Voldemort get the Elder Wand would have been such an exciting place for it mm. to have finished as a cliffhanger. If you hadn't obviously read the books, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and obviously leaving it on Dobby's death as well. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's one of the things that the film, because okay, it was it was a powerful moment, but I think it would have been a lot more powerful had Dobby appeared at any point between Chamber of Secrets and Deathly Hallows. In the books, he's in Goblet of Fire, he's in Order of the Phoenix, he's in Half-Blood Prince. So when he dies in Deathly Hallows, it feels like you're actually losing a bigger character than you are in the films, because given that you know Dobby's appearance in terms of the audience watching it is like the first time they've seen him in like eight years. So when he dies, it's it's not as gut wrenching as it would have been in the books because in the books you've actually had more time with the character. Yeah, definitely. But again, that's that's always going to be the case. I think you know it'd be the same with Sirius, for example. We see him more in Goblet of Fire than mm-hmm. we do in the film necessarily, but that's just the nature of trying to fit a you know a lengthy book into a shorter film i mean there were a few things in definitely hallows that i you know would have quite liked to have seen included i would have quite liked to have seen maybe a bit of uh the 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 letter from lily yeah i would have liked a bit more on creature and the backstory because i think that really fleshes out the character and the character changes so much in in that chapter yeah i would have liked to have seen the fight between harry and lupin yeah and i would have liked to have seen and and this one's a, a really minor one but i would have quite liked to have seen the harry ron and hermione overhearing Dean, Ted Tonks, the Goblins, and Dirk Cresswell, where they are discussing what's happening at Hogwarts. Because you don't get a lot of, you know, you have that shot on the train uh, where Death Eaters stop the train and, you know, Neville says, you know, he's not here and whatever. But I would have quite liked to have seen, you know, the, the, what, what what was actually happening at Hogwarts a little bit more than we did. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, that's just, again, like I said, that's the mm. nature of trying to cut a a lengthy book into a shorter film it's not possible to to have everything unfortunately yeah which and it's again why i think harry potter is would be better suited as a television series over a film because it does give you that luxury of having that bit more time to make sure everything's included which other films did you think were were particularly high up in your ranking or particularly low down in your ranking 
Um, to be honest, I, you know, I really enjoyed all of them for different reasons. You know, I, I really like Goblet of Fire. Um, I think that's I think that's fantastic. Um, and that's you know, I know you had the Half Blood Prince as your least favourite, but you know, I really enjoyed that one as well. For for all the films, what I will say is when they're good, they're unbelievable. But I feel that, as I said earlier, with Half Blood Prince missing out so much on Voldemort's backstory, and it was a sort of a deliberate choice by by the director as well to to not include uh, the the information on it, you know as much information on his backstory, and I just found that a little bit a little bit frustrating because it's kind of like well it's kind of important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's important, but don't forget. In comparison to the Deathly Hallows, they had sort of half the time to tell the story of the book. So, mm. you know, naturally, I would imagine if that one had been split into two, that's something that they would have covered. Um, you know, they, they didn't have that luxury, unfortunately. This is from uh, IMDb. The original script out- included all of Dumbledore's memories about Voldemort as, la- as outlined in the source novel, but director David Yates insisted on trimming them down as he, as according to screenwriter Steve Cloves, he wanted to showcase Voldemort's rise without getting overly involved with his pastor's riddle. But I'm like, that's the whole point! That's the whole point. You need to know about Tom Riddle's backstory in order to defeat him. You do, but they, you know, they they do cover that. But they don't cover the the cup. They don't, you know, really say anything about you know him collecting them as sort of trophies, uh, or you know, I mean, Dumbledore even says it could be you know any uh, any old object, and I'm like, no, that's not that's not what Tom Riddle was about. He wanted to create Horcruxes out of meaningful, magical artifacts that he gets after a particularly notable murder. And I just found that frustrating because I just feel that it was a bit of a, a bit of a missed opportunity because I feel that too much of the Half Blood Prince film was focusing a lot. You know, a lot more on Ron and Hermione's relationship, which is a big part of Half Blood Prince, don't get me wrong, but I just feel that not enough. And especially when you include the scene about them burning down the burrow and Bellatrix just attacking Harry at the burrow with Greyback. And I'm like, you include that, but you don't actually include how Harry can recognize the cup in you know two films later that that that's that's just i i thought that was poor so that's why i have that film last because i feel they took out some important information you know due to personal choice rather than due to time constraints because as i say if it was time constraints you could have removed the scene uh with the burrow and included uh an extra couple of important bits about Tom Riddle's past. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I I liked, I liked the film. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I liked all of them. Um, thought they were great. Um, I think, in terms of the one that I, you know, I, I loved all of them really. But in terms of the one I probably enjoyed the least, um, and I will explain my reasoning for this. It's the Order of the Phoenix. 
And that is purely because of how good Imelda Staunton was as Umbridge in the sense that she was every bit as vile as she uh, she is in the novel. And that is a complete testament to how well she played the character. But, um, oh, there, there were times you just wanted to uh, to, to scream at her because she, mm. I mean, she played it so well. But, um, and, you know, I... I uh, you know the frustration that I have for the order that the the ministry aren't listening to them, and you know when you know how well they should be. It's it's a frustrating one, but that's in you know mm. the entire point of it, really. That it's you know that's the story to tell. Um, that the you know about the ministry's lack of lack of belief it's entirely for the storytelling purposes, but at the same time knowing the characters in the books it was uh you felt for them mm. i mean did you feel that way about the book or was it more the film um i mean i couldn't stand umbridge in the book as you know as mm. if everyone uh felt the same um with that but um I, but in know, terms I, of the ministry and percy's letter to ron trying to turn harry against him and yeah it, you know you really feel for them because you know they're in the right they're trying to do the right thing and alert the wizarding world to, to the return of Voldemort. and you know you know that the ministry's lack of belief is costing precious time and resources in mm. trying to to overcome the challenges that they will face and what's particularly stupid is that Harry surviving the encounter with Voldemort in the graveyard at Little Hangleton was the worst possible. It's like doomsday scenario for Voldemort. His comeback could not have gone any worse than have Harry get away and go and tell Dumbledore and the Wizarding World that he's back. Yeah, but because of Fudge's ignorance, absolutely, he gives he gives Voldemort a year's pass. He does, yeah. They lose incredibly valuable time because of because of the decisions that Fudge and the Ministry makes, and you know they they lose resources and people as well, of course. You know, to yeah, serious as, as a direct consequence of their um, their failure to act. So. Um, and of course, we're you know we're entirely on the order side and Harry's side in this, so it is frustrating. And you know, to be honest as well, because you, you can see parallels with what happens in our world as well, and you know kind of how frustrating that can be. So it is, uh, it's, it's a difficult one. Yeah. What did you make of uh, Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah, I really like the Prisoner of Azkaban. I think it's a really good film. Um, you know, some of the things were slightly different to, to how I'd imagined it, you know, when he gets the fireball at the end of the movie rather than, um, you know, that being a part of the, the main story and things like that. But, you know, you get the introduction of Gary Oldman as Sirius, who is just absolutely fantastic and exactly mm. how I'd imagined him. Um, so, you know, I, I really like all the films. And, you know, just because some things were, were different doesn't mean that, they were wrong you know so for example if you'd have sometimes it you know, depends within the context of the film i mean if it had, you'd found out before the deathly hallows that part one the film that harry and hermione were gonna 
do a, a scene where they were dancing, you'd think, oh, you know, potentially this this may not work or may not be how I imagined it. But actually, within the context of the film, it really mm. fits within the story and and the the way that they've created it. It's just so natural. So you know, some of the things that they did were you know we're fantastic additions and now that's how i imagine it you know now i imagine hermione obliviating her parents taking herself out of the photographs and everything like that and it, it all becomes part of the imagery that i use now yeah that's uh, that is fair i mean the one thing that i will uh say didn't happen uh, and will never be part of my imaginings is Harry going to Voldemort and saying, let's finish this the way we started together and then throwing themselves off Hogwarts. Call me controversial, but I don't see that happening. It does allow some great shots of the, the Hogwarts castle, which, I, you know, I love seeing. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's good. But, I mean, in regards to that final showdown, it needed to be more faithful to the books. Either have... Because, I mean, what I, I I have my, you know, frustrations with The Deathly Hallows towards the end as a, as a book, uh, which is why I probably have it as my least favourite book. But the one thing I think it does really, really well is have that, the final showdown between Harry and Voldemort happening in the Great Hall in front of an audience, and then the mundane finality of Voldemort's death, this, you know, character that was you know such a an overpowering figure of evil throughout the entire series dies just like any other man and i thought that was really really powerful and instead what you get is harry and voldemort not uh having that back and forth confrontation where harry reveals why voldemort's about to lose which I thought was huge. Definitely Hallows is without a doubt Harry's best book in terms of intelligence because he puts together so much information and ultimately, you know, wins the day because of uh, calculations. Harry is perhaps more alone than he ever has been. You know, you look at the other books and he's had people support, you know, Dumbledore and Sirius and, you know, Lupin and, you know, all these people who are trying to, to help him. And I think that's the, that's the, beauty of the deathly hallows really is that he doesn't he doesn't have that he is mm. they are on their own and that's what makes it so powerful really and you know but just the way you see him put together so much i mean even like when hermione was like saying you know the resurrection stone is not real and he's convinced that dumbledore's left it in the snitch which he had done you know it's it, he just puts together so much information i think that was really impressive and then you go into the final showdown with voldemort and he's explaining to voldemort why voldemort's about to die yeah and i thought that was brilliantly done and to remove that to remove the crowd and to remove the dead body it's like if you're in the wizarding world and harry comes back in and says oh yeah voldemort's dead well where's the proof well I, you know i think with that one it, it probably logistically it was difficult for them to do that scene in the great hall um, but then you give a body you know you don't you don't have him evaporate into dust you know you have a dead body to go and say right he's dead you know there's no mucking about because bearing in mind Voldemort 
died the you know quote unquote died the first time back at uh, Godric's Hollow and disappeared into you know vapor and you know less than a meanest ghost and whatever. If you are a Voldemort supporter, like you know, I know Bellatrix had died like at that point, but if you're if you're a supporter like Bellatrix, you would believe that Voldemort's still alive because there's no proof to say otherwise. But do you not think that the you know evaporating into thin air is you know even even more final and actually you know befitting that he you know there is no trace of him left on the earth? It's final, you know. It's but it's not mundane, and the idea of him dying like any other man. Uh, was a really powerful concept, I felt. Okay, so all right, I'm going to sum up now why I feel that Chamber of Secrets was the best film. Okay, your time starts now. Okay, well, I think Chamber of Secrets is, is the best film because it gets everything spot on based on what it was in the books. You have the perfect casting, you have the be- perfect you know, set design, the perfect... Um, costumes for characters like Lockhart and just the completion from beginning to end was just completely perfect and exactly how I imagined it to be from the books. Great. So my time for why part one of The Deathly Hallows is my favourite film starts now. I think it's a fantastic film. There are many very powerful moments in it from Hermione using the Obliviate curse at the beginning and her disappearing from the photographs to Harry and Hermione dancing during the film. I think it's a a really well put together film. It ends on a real cliffhanger for anyone who hasn't read the book. It's an exciting film full of drama, suspense and adventure and it's got fantastic performances from everyone and that's why it would be my favourite film. Okay, we will put this out on Twitter. Which film did you prefer Definitely Alice Part 1, Chamber of Secrets, or other. If you vote Chamber of Secrets, 10 points go to Hufflepuff. Definitely Alice Part 1, 10 points go to Gryffindor. If you vote other, 5 points get taken off both houses. So you ready for the quiz? Absolutely. Okay, question one. Uh, in Part 1 of the Deathly Hallows, Hermione wears a red dress to Bill and Fleur's wedding. What colour dress was she wearing in the books? Was it pink? Was it lilac? Was it light blue? Was it dark blue? It's an excellent question. Uh, I'm going to say lilac. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, when Harry, Ron and Hermione disapparate from the wedding, in the books they appear at Tottenham Court Road. Where do they appear in the film? Is it Shaftesbury Avenue, Leicester Square, Trafalgar Square, or Piccadilly Circus? It's it's Shaftesbury Avenue, isn't it? Is that what you're going with? Yeah. Correct. Okay, when Harry sneaks into Umbridge's office in the film, he looks through four files to see members of the Order. Which one of these characters does not have a file that Harry looks through? Is it Hermione, Lupin, Moody, or Sirius? Well, Moody definitely has one. 
I am going to say Lupin. That's correct. Really? I, I was torn between Lupin and Sirius. No, um, uh, that's correct. Oh, that's good. Okay, question four. The Harry Potter films were hugely successful, and part one of The Deathly Hallows was no different. In terms of the box office rankings, where was part one of The Deathly Hallows for the Harry Potter film series? Was it first, as in the highest grossing? Was it second? Was it third? Or was it fourth? I would guess that I'd say Deathly Hallows part two probably grossed more. And I would guess the Philosopher's Stone grows more. So it's third or fourth. Uh, I will say third. Uh, it's actually second. Is it? Yeah, it is Deathly Hallows Part 2 first, and Part 1 is second. Mm, okay, so, then. The final two being the, the highest grossing. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Question five. As I mentioned, part one of the Deathly Hallows grossed a huge amount at the box office, and it was the third highest grossing film of that year. What was the highest grossing film of the year? Was it Toy Story 3, Alice in Wonderland, Inception, or Iron Man 2? Hmm. I will say... Toy Story 3. That's correct. Nice. Yeah, four out of five. Take that. Yeah, definitely. Your questions about uh, about the Chamber of Secrets. What is the Lockhart book Molly Weasley used for dealing with garden gnomes? Is it Gilderoy Lockhart's Guide to Gnome Nuisance? Gilderoy Lockhart's Guide to Household Pests, Gilderoy Lockhart's Guide to Pesky Pets, or Gilderoy Lockhart's Guide to Gardening? Second one. So you're going Guide to Household Pests? Yep. That's correct. Which of these Lockhart books was not required by second year students? So it, which of these books was not on Harry's reading list? Is it Holiday with Hags? Visits with Vampires? Travels with Trolls? Or Break with a Banshee? Visits with Vampires. That's correct. But what's what's such a, a sneaky one about that is that they are all Gilderoy Lockhart books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that is that is correct. In the in the film. The Dueling Club only really shows Harry dueling with Draco Malfoy. But in the books, uh, you see, obviously, Hermione with uh, Millicent Bulstrode. And Ron gets partnered by Snape and Lockhart with which student? Is it Dean Thomas? Is it Seamus Finnegan? Is it Vincent Crabbe? Or is it Gregory Goyle? I'm going to say Crabbe. It was actually Seamus. Was that? Mm. Okay. I, th- I think in my I think in my head because Snape was partnering people. Mm. Um. Just assume. Just assume that um he would have put him with uh, with Crab. Yeah. No, I do remember now. It is uh, is Seamus. Okay. In the film, when Harry arrives at the burrow, you get a glimpse of the famous Weasley clock. 
Which of the following options is not on the Weasley clock? You're late, bedtime, time to feed the chickens, or time to make tea? Uh, let's say time to make tea. It's actually bedtime. So, mm. Final question. What is the name of Aragog's wife? Is it Gelia, Mossag, Lysra, or Monia? Uh, I'm going to say... What's the second one? Mossag. I'm going to say Mossag. That is correct. Yes! Yeah, he even found me a wife, Mossag, is Fair the enough. line. Fair enough. It's a, But it's one of those where it's a complete throwaway line. Yeah. Three out of five for you and four out of five for me. It's not bad. Yep. Yep, well done. I'll take that, I'll take that. Uh, but that will conclude another episode of Postules. Uh, thank you very, very much for joining us. On Friday, we will be doing If You Could Read the Chamber of Secrets. From a different character's perspective, which character would it be? It's the second part of our uh, series that I like to call Blank Blank in the book title. Yeah, we've already done the Philosopher's Stone, so if you hadn't, haven't had a chance to check it out yet, it's uh, well worth a listen. Yes, definitely, definitely. But yeah, it should be really good. I'm looking forward to getting into the Chamber of Secrets from a from a different perspective. I'm on a bit of a Chamber of Secrets binge at the moment with uh, obviously talking about the film and then we'll be uh, dissecting the book on uh, on Friday. So that, yeah, should, look, be, that should be Yeah, fun. looking forward to that one. Yeah, should be fun. Uh, but until then, as I say, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at Potterjules, email Potterjules at hotmail.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Potterjules. That is P-O-T-T-E-R-D-U-E-L-S, all one word. But until Friday, thank you very much for joining us. I've been Tim. He has been Martin. See you next time. And until then, Knox.